Good morning, everybody. Mom is in the house. Mom is here. So that's good. Welcome, uh, Kinetic Astrology, Mark Brotherson, B, Virginia Dare, Alex, Scott, Matt Snick, Lindsay Chapman, Will Gensky, Daniel Stearns. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to the Gnostic Church and Academy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart, Marty Leeds. That was exhausting. I am your uh, preacher from Beecher. Thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, somebody had mentioned here that uh, they remember this one from a few years ago, because I had already done this uh, several years ago, but since we're starting the book of Mark, I've got to do it again. So um, this will be a review for some people, but it's going to be good. There's going to be uh, some, some other stuff I haven't covered before, which will be good. So welcome all. Welcome to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you all for being here. Shalom. Shalom. Um, we do service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time if you're a first-time listener. So if you want to come back and get uh, the service, we do it every Sunday. We're here uh, 9 o'clock sharp, as I've been. So I uh, just want to get a few things out of the way before we get going. I want to say thank you to Content Safe. Content Safe has brought you um, all these other, all these sermons to these other platforms, BitChute, Rumble, Odyssey, um, that sort of thing. We're streaming from YouTube and Rockfin as we do. So thank you to Content Safe for that. I think they're working. Uh, Rumble's up. I think BitChute's on its way, and then we're working on Odyssey maybe this week. So um, it just what it is what it is. You can get this sermon on the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app, which is Hearth's app, uh, Dave Weiss's app. And so he's got the Sunday sermons on there. So if you do have the app, which is really cool, um, I've got it myself. Um, uh, if you do have the app, where is my app? There it is. You can go, and I'll show you this here. Can you see that? Yeah, you can go. Boom, there it is. There's our flat stationary plane. Oh, no, no, thank you. Uh, you can go here. There's a little learning tab right here. Boom, and you can go to the tab there. And then I'll be there. Sunday Sermons right there. You can see on the right there. So if you want to get it there, that's a great place to get it. It's a great little app, handy app. Um, also, just letting you guys know, once again, One Day of Brightness, uh, December 18th. I'll be doing that with Lindsay over at Rogueways. So if you want to sign up for that, that's at rogueways.org. And it'll be sort of an all-day extravaganza. I'll be speaking on the winter solstice, and it's going to be good. I'm, I've actually already started putting it together, and so it's going to be awesome. Oh, I wanted to show you guys this, too. I took a screenshot of this, and I forgot to put it up here. Thank you all for being here this morning. 68 watching. That's a good start. Um, this is the what I've got done with the book thus far. Here's the chapters of the book that I've got done this far. I'm hoping to have it out by Christmas, honestly. I think, um, we'll see. We'll see. That's kind of pushing it, but I think it can happen. So, and I got to say thank you. Um, I got to say thank you to all the people that have supported because the only reason I can even get these books out this fast right now is that I can do this full time. And so it's, it's afforded me the opportunity to be able to um, research and study and, and, and put the books together. I've been um, writing nonstop all week. <laughs> so the last couple of weeks, just been nonstop, like eight, 10 hour days, um, just hammering at it, you know. And so lots of good stuff. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be good. It's going to be a good one. Had no idea that I was going to even write this book, and then all of a sudden it just kind of went, just is coming out, so it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Can I? Did I say that? It's going to be good. I'm really looking forward to it. Okay. Uh, I just want to get a few thank yous out of the way. I had a lot of support. Oh, I'm already snorting this morning. <clears throat> Sorry. I uh, had a lot of support So uh, in the last week or so, and I just want to say thank you so much because it's, like I said, it's what keeps this thing alive. It's what has allowed me to actually write the next book, which will allow me to hopefully... 
afford to write the next one. I guess we'll see. But uh, so Marlene and Gary, thank you so much. Um, if you're out there, which you are, we love you so much and looking forward to seeing you guys soon. Julie Pradal, Stacy Pimentel, uh, Valerie Gutierrez. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I got you, we got your um, envelope in the mail. Really appreciate that. Sharon loves dogs. Sharon, thank you so much. We got your envelope as well. Um, like I said, that really helps us out. So thank you so much. It means a lot. Uh, Chase, Chase at Introverse Podcast. Chase, if you're out there, I'm sorry, his name's Chance and it's Introverse. But thank you, Chase. Uh, so Jared Poole, thank you so much. Um, Perspective 96 threw 100 bucks last, uh, $96 actually last time. So thank you so much. Jason Reed, Eric C., Lucy Short, uh, Mark Brotherson, Ange, Ange, my brother. Uh, thank you so much. Got your PayPal donation. Aaron Nishka, uh, I think I spelled that incorrectly. I don't know if there's an H there, but Aaron, um, his he works at a bank and they were doing this sort of funding for like um, sort of charity for any like local businesses and stuff like that, that they were just giving money away. And so he sent it to us, the church, which was just amazing. So thank you so much, Aaron. We just got that yesterday. And like I said, it's, uh, you guys are going to help us keep going till at least next month, which is amazing. Like I, you know, every month it's a struggle doing this. And so, you know, the people that support, it's just amazing. So, um, like I said, I wouldn't be able to do, wouldn't be able to get these books out, um, without it. So, uh, Liz, the Iron Maiden, six, 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 a number of the beast. She doesn't play in Iron Maiden. She's just the Iron Maiden. Allison Flynn, Deborah Stille, always coming in, killing it. The Truth Seeker. Uh, thank you so much. Ruth Scott, the Gnostic Chef. Paige Wendell, has dear first lady. Uh, Code Van, uh, Cody Van Dyke, small axe, chopping down the big tree. J.M. Grassi, Jeremy Faulkner. Thank you guys so much. Thanks to also everybody that signed up at Thames. Uh, Truth, the True Earth Mount Miru Summit went over really well. Everybody had a really great time. They're doing it again in March. They're going to try to do it, I think, like twice a year or something like that, which is awesome. So hopefully people will go and sign up. And I'm, next time I'm going to do a deconstruction of all the bullshit math surrounding helocentrism. They uh, bo Both uh, Austin uh, Witsit and Jaron asked me to do that. And I said, I can do that. I've got the skills to pay those bills. So I'm going to do that. So uh, so thank you to all those people that signed up. That was a huge help this month as well. And all the people, the members of the Academy. We've had a few sign-ups lately, which is great. It keeps this thing going. All right, let's do a prayer. Dear God, illume our hearts, O Master who lovest mankind, with the pure light of thy divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of thy gospel teachings. Implant also... In us the fear of thy blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as are well-pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God, and unto thee we ascribe glory, together with thy Father, who is from everlasting, and thine all-holy, good, and life-creating spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to try to open our eyes to the mind of the understanding of thy gospel's teaching. That's what we're going to try to do because, unfortunately, we live in a time in which um, the modern churches do not understand the gospel. They do not understand the messages that, uh, for, for the most part, the messages that are being, they're trying to be purveyed to people in the gospel. Um, the depth of those messages, the the amount of science that's actually that's actually contained within the allegories and the parables and things like that, the architecture 
um, the architecture that leads to the understanding of symbols, what symbols mean, how they relate to us, and what they have to do with our spiritual pursuit. And today we're going to talk a lot about this baby right here, which we already did, the Vesica Pisces. We're going to talk a lot about that today when we do uh, Matthew. So this is episode 42. Hey, look at that. And we're going to talk about the 42 generations of Christ. 42 generations to Christ. Abraham to David, David to Babylon, and Babylon to Christ. But first, I want to... Um, ah, it's in the other room. Uh, I want to read this. This is Amor, um, Amor over at Gnostic Revelation Mysteries over there. Uh, he gave me a book called... Um, William Kingsland is the author, and it's um, Gnosis and the Ancient Mysteries of the Christian Scriptures. Something like that. I don't exactly know what the title of the book is. Great book. Lots of nuggets in there, that sort of stuff. Oh, before I get on, before I read this, I forgot to say this. We also do have rosaries um, in, back in stock. We've got the, the Bible should be showing up here probably Monday. So there's a few people that ordered them. We'll ship those out. We do have rosaries in stock if anybody's interested. Rosary Bible packages. So um, those will be going out. If anybody has ordered them, they will be going out uh, early next week. So I'll let you guys know. So thank you for that. Okay. Uh, sorry, sidetrack. We're back on course here. Got a little crazy there. Uh, Amor, he sent me, gave me this book. It's a fantastic book. And I just wanted to read this. Before we get going, I just wanted to read. This is one paragraph I was reading the other day. And I just thought I'd share it with you. It says, the study of... Let me stop. I'll preface this. I'll preface this. Uh, there's lots of claims to where the Bible comes from, where Christianity comes from, where these writings come from, stuff like that. People have all, you know, this tradition here, this tradition there, they all, they, they state claim to it. But the honest truth is, is the Bible and, you know, all of this stuff is, is our artifacts of history. That's what they are. They're no different than the tarot deck or the, the deck of cards or, or the, the game of chess or the billiards board or like, you know, all of these other things that have essentially been art, our language. There's another languages. Where the heck do these come from? We have no idea what the origin of all these things are. There's a lot of traditions that claim to, once again, this is this mine, 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 me, 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 mine, 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 origin sort of thing. They, they, they stake claim and possession to these things. And this is what ends up like basically, you know, uh, uh, what do I want to say, like distur distorts and perverts and their, their mind and their understanding of Christianity is this sort of me, 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 my, my, mind thing. So lots of cultures have uh, staked claim to the origins of this. But the truth is, and this is what Gnostics and, and, you know, masonry and that sort of stuff, when you get into that study, they'll just be honest with you. They'll just be like, we, no one knows the origin of this stuff. To claim that people have the origin is just a bunch of people that believe in history. There's no different than people, you believe that, you might as well believe, you know, that orthodoxy is the foundation of Christianity, you might as well be for, might as well believe that 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue and figured out it was a vol. That's how silly it is. So Gnostics are uh, genuine with understanding the the, the the mystical origins of this stuff, and that includes most of the stuff in our world. So I just want to read that this um, the study of Christian origins is a very large and controversial question, but it is quite evident that the literalization of these narratives was due to the fact that those who ultimately obtained the ascendancy in the church councils, those who got up and gotten into power in these church councils, and, uh, ultimately obtained the, uh, excuse me, they were ascendancy in the church councils and were the framers of the creeds which have been current for so many centuries. So these same people that elevated, that got elevated into the church councils, they also set up the creeds which uh, essentially most modern fundamentalist literalist churches celebrate today. These people were not instructed in the Gnosis. In other words, 
when you talk about gnosis, you're getting to the core of what this stuff means. This means symbolically, numer you know, mathematically, uh, morally, you know, all of this sort of stuff. It gets to the root. It gets to that anagogic seed that's sowed. What William Kingsland is saying here is that the people that set up the creed to the churches and passed this information on, they had no idea what they were talking about. Literally. They had no idea what the true mystical import is within the scripture, and we're going to un uncover that today in uh, chapter 1 here. They were in fact, as he goes on to say, they were in fact miserably ignorant. Yeah, absolutely. Not merely of that gnosis, which as I shall presently show, lies at the root of all these allegories, myths, and fables in the Christian as in other ancient and pre-Christian scriptures, but also of the geographical, astronomical, and anthropological facts well known to other people for thousands of years prior to the Christian era. They have no they 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 separate themselves from all the traditions that you can link to Christianity through all of these th all of this similarities and all all the, the the key principles within it that you can link to all these other things. These church councils they separated all that, completely ignored the Gnostic understanding of all these things, and presented that to future generations and codified that, cemented it, solidified it within the creed of their own church. And this is exactly what we have going on today. You have masses of churches that go out and teach the Bible every single day and have no idea, no idea what's, what's, in, the, what's in that book. No clue. And that's what this church is for, to try to unearth some of those things. Um, is try to get into the, go line by line as we're going to do, line by line through scripture and point out these things that all these churches will deny and ignore, yet they're verifiable. They're things that are absolutely 100% verifiable because they're based on math. And there's going to be a lot of math today, unfortunately. Sorry, guys. So, um, so that's what the, the goal of this church is, is try to clear the air with some of that stuff. And we're going to go into the nitty gritty. We're going to go line by line, letter by letter, number by number verse by verse, and unpack this thing. Here's a slice of pie, Javier. 3142, brother Jason Reed. 10 bucks, thank you so much. I thank you so much. Okay, let's get into it. Okay. Chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read a little bit, and then um, and I'm going to go through this quick, because there's a lot of stuff to uncover and, uh, well, you'll see why. So we're just going to read through this, the 42, uh, this is the 42 generations. So this is the opening, New Testament. This is the first page. Boom. Here's what you get. Uh, and then we'll go back and we'll, uh, deconstruct this. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's the first line, number one. We're going to spend some time on that. We'll go back in just a second. Then it goes on to say this. So the first thing you're given in this New Testament about Jesus Christ is a list of his family tree, his roots. His, his family tree, where he comes from, his genealogy. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judas and his brethren, and Judas begot Pharaoh, and Zerah of Thamar, and Pharaoh begot Esram, and Esram begot Aram, and Aram begot Aminadab, Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nasan, and Nasan begot Salmon, and Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz of Rachab, whatever, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse. We're going to keep going. I'm just going to read through these just so you guys have it. And Jesse begot David the king. And David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begot Roboam, Roboam and Roboam begot Abia and Bia Asa. Asa begot Josephat and Josephat begot Jaram and Jaram begot Oz. This is the opening of a book about the Lord and Savior. Seems pretty like, what? 
Like, this is what they do. They establish a bunch of genealogy first. Who are these people? Where, you know, that sort of thing. And Ozias begot Yoham, Yotham, and Yotham begot Achaz, and Achaz begot Ezekias, and Ezekias begot Manassas, and Manassas begot Amon, and Amon begot Josias. And we're just going to keep going here. And Josias begot Jaconius and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. So we went from David, then we got to Babylon. And after that, they were brought to Babylon. Jaconius begot Salathiel, and Salathiel begot Zorobabel, and Zorobabel begot Abuid. It doesn't really matter. And Abuid begot Elikim, and Elikim begot Azor, and Azor begot Sadak, and Sadak begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliad, and Eliad begot Elazar, and Elazar begot Mathan, and Mathan begot I mean, Jesus. Look at look at this. Look at what's going on in the opening lines here. It's just exhausting. Like what? How how is any of this say anything about morality or you know about what you're supposed to do in life or how we're supposed to follow Christ and what is this here for? Well, we're gonna find out. And Jacob begot Joseph and the husband of Mary, who was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Okay. So then the next line is this. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Okay, so 14 plus 14 plus 14, that's three 14s. We'll get to that. That's 42. Okay, so there's your generations from Abraham to David, David to Babylon, Babylon to Christ. It's an exhaustive list and it's given to you the first thing in the book. Okay, so there's the 42 generations, the genealogy. It's very famous, of course. 42 generations with three periods. These are separated into three. First period, Abraham. Second, David. Uh, uh, Abraham to David, David to Babylon, and then Babylon to Christ. Those are the three periods. Okay, so we're given all this information. They thought, the, the biblical writers thought it was so important for us to know Jesus Christ's gene genealogy and his roots, where he's from. This is the first thing they put. Why? Well, the first question before we get into that is, okay, all this info about his family tree, right? This guy begot this person, and this person begot this person, and then this, and this, and then his brethren, and then, and, and, then it's, and then they go so far as to say all of these things were separated into three, all of this information, correct? And yet, uh, not one date is given. Okay, cool. Well, when was Abraham born? When was Jochias born? When when was the time when we got to Babylon? When was that? When did that happen? So we know Jesus was comes from the Jochias and then Aram and Amidid, blah, 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 blah. All these people, right? When did it happen? When was the Savior born? When was Jesus born? When was Mary born? So we're about to find out that Mary was impregnated with the Holy Ghost and gave birth to Jesus, as, as we know. And then they didn't mention, like, oh, uh, when was Mary born? When was Joseph born, who she was espoused to? How old were Mary and Joseph? How old was Mary when she had... Jesus had children. I mean, uh, Jesus had brothers and sisters, excuse me. Je Jesus had siblings. We're all God's children, so he did have children, but that's it. Um, so he had siblings. He had like his brothers were like, uh, was it Judas? And there was a couple other James, I think. There was a two other brothers. And then he had sisters. Jesus had sisters. Do you guys know this? Yeah, and they're not named in the Bible. Who were the Who were the sisters? Who were they? What were their names? Did they have children? Were they married? When were they born? Nothing. Literally nothing. We don't have it, you know. So we're supposed to understand. Now, why I started with this here is that this William Kingsland thing is that we're supposed to, the, the, many churches, 
Orthodox being one of them, stake the claim that they're the one true church that Christ set up in the Bible, that he set up this church, and Orthodoxy is the church. And Orthodoxy has kept up the history of the saints and the church fathers that were all part of the church. And these church fathers, they have dates, things that they've written, when they died, when they were born, all this other stuff. But for some reason, this church, when they were writing all of this stuff down or the people and they were you know, compiling all this information and then translating it, but when it comes to like when the Savior was born and when he died, eh, it doesn't really matter. Who cares? That seems like pretty damn important information. And yet the biblical writers in the opening page left it all out. But we're given all of this information as to what? When, when the guy was Solomon and Roboam and Abia and Asa and you, who cares about any of this? Does, does any of these names or these people that lived allegedly in history, what are they saying to you about your spiritual life at all? Nothing. Provides nothing. As far as the literalist fundamentalist is concerned, do you know what this is? It's just the genealogy of Christ. That's it. It's just they're telling us he was born from Abraham and the things and that's it. Okay. So there's, there's a question. Why are there no dates? Are we really supposed to believe that the Bible translators and writers, they, they thought it was so information, it's so important to give us all this information and yet no dates. That doesn't make any sense. Now, these are the questions that you sh that are appropriate to ask the Bible. These are the questions that, in fact, the Bible is begging you to ask. The Bible is a book of riddles. It's a book of mysteries. It's a book of dark sayings. It's allegories and parables. And it is a layered bitch, man. Holy Lord. There's a lot in here. Now, the modern Christian goes to what we just read. And you know what they have to say? Nothing. That's it. That's just, it's just the 42 generations. They're not allowed to ask questions like that because that's an attack on their faith. Meaning like, why are there no dates? Why don't we know when Jesus was born? All this information. We don't know when he died, when he was born, when his mother was born. <clears throat> that position, to take that position, flies directly in the face of everything logical, rational, reasonable, commonsensical. The book is begging you to ask questions. Wait a second, all this information but we don't know when he was born? Now we understand as Gnostics why that is not a problem at all. Why? Because it's timeless information. It literally has nothing to do with anything in history about 42 generations of actual people named Aba and Josius and Jaconius or whatever that eventually gave birth to, you know, eventually led to Christ. Something else is going on here, obviously. Obviously. So, the first thing we are given in the New Testament is the genealogy of Jesus. Why is this important? Well, because of the relationship that Jesus has to the people in the Old Testament. Now remember, the, so you have this big fat book called the Old Testy, and then sandwiched onto it is the New Testy, right? And the New Testy is our book, and the Old Testy is the, the, the Chosens, the, those guys, the ruffians, their book, right? So you get this whole fat book called the Old Testament, and then the first thing you're given in the New Testament is what? The genealogy of Christ. Why? Because they have to establish that Jesus Christ comes from the line of Jews so that when Jesus delivers his message, which is not really in alignment with what, what, what those people of the Old Testament think, when he came to give that message, what was he doing? He was doing it from the lineage, from the tradition, from the genealogy of the very people that he will be calling out. 
The whole idea of Judaism is that there's the Mosiach, right? That they're, it's, it's a savior Messiah religion, that they're waiting for their Messiah. Now, of course, what the, what the New Testament actually establishes is that, guess what, Jews? Your Messiah showed up. He was here. And you rejected him because his message wasn't in alignment with what you suppose you wanted your message to be. Because what their message is is like, yes, then Israel is going to be the capital of the third temple, and then we're all going to be the chosen ones, and everybody's going to serve us. Is that we're going to have like twenty eight hundred slaves each, and then blah 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 blah. And then Jesus came and said, yeah, it's not really going to happen at all. And they didn't like that. So what did they do? Well, they you know. They convinced the Romans through lies and deception and stuff like that to end up, you know, well, you know what happened, this whole thing. You know, they put him on the, the cross thing and then, you know, you know what happened. You know that story. So the reason that the 42 generations are so important is because it establishes Jesus as part of their lineage, part of their stock, part of their roots. So that when he comes in and uproots it, they can't say, well, he's not part of the chosen people. He's not that sort of thing. No, in fact, it establishes it as the first thing. That's exactly what he is. He comes from your guys' stock. And guess what his message was? Oh, that Old Testament. Oh, guess what? We got a new one now. And guess what? The Jews hate it to, to, to this day. To this day, they hate him. Jews do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah because he did not accomplish these tasks. These tasks. The idea of the Mosiach, the Messiah, is an ancient one in Judaism. The Jewish idea of Mosiach is a great human leader like King David, not a savior, even though they said that Jesus was human. I don't know what's going on there. There is much speculation about when the Mosiach will come. He was already here. He's still here, by the way. Uh, the Bible identifies several tasks that the Mosiach will accomplish, and Jesus didn't do those things. Like we said, you know, the Jews would be the supreme rulers and have a bunch of slaves and that sort of thing. The belief in a Messiah, a person who will redeem the Jewish people, rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, resurrect the dead, and usher in an, area of perf an era of perfect peace has been evident in Jewish thought for at least a millennium. So the reason that it's so important that the 42 generations are listed is to make sure that those Jews know that guess what? He's one of your guys. He's one of your guys. And the greatest anti-Semite in the world actually established a new religion based off your stuff and said, those old guys, uh, be, be wary of following those old Jewish fables, as it says in the NT. He called them out. All throughout the book of Mark, what did we read? Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes came over and they tried to trick him and they tried to manipulate his language and then they tried to, you know, this sort of thing. And even when he went to the cross, what did they do? They lied. The, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes, the ruffians, they lied about Christ. They said, yeah, this guy said he was the king of the Jews. Oh, and then, then, then they reported him to the Romans. And then the Romans were like, oh, were you guilty? And so they brought him to Pontius Pilate. It's like, no, I'm not guilty. He doesn't say anything. Then they brought him to Herod. Are you guilty? No, I'm not guilty because he's not. He's sinless, obviously. Then they brought him in front of the crowd. And the crowd was like, crucify him. And then, of course, Pilate was like, well, I guess the crowd speaks. So it was like a Twitter crowd, I think, at the time. So uh, this is why it's so important. Because even in the opening lines of Matthew here, you're establishing who the evil people are, who the enemy is in this sense, the enemy of Christ. We'll see that when we get into chapter two, when King Herod comes along and is like, kill all the children under two. I would say that's pretty, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not trying to make any moral claims here, but I would say that's fairly immoral. So, you know, genocide is what I'm saying. So this is why it's so important that this is all established. This is why you're given this laundry list of genealogy and the first thing to say, guess where Jesus is rooted? 
and your people. And guess what he had to say about it? Not that good. Wasn't too good for you. So there's a whole thing with Elijah's cup that Jews literally, when they, at Passover, they set an extra uh, table set. This is at Cedar and hoping Elijah will show up because Elijah, Elias is going to be there to announce the Savior. Of course, we already know that that happened. Elijah's John. John announced Jesus. Jesus came. You guys rejected him. And here we are today. Hence why it's so significant. Now, because most churches don't understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, this includes pretty much most, I would say 99.9% .9 of the churches that operate today. That genealogy essentially means nothing. Essentially doesn't say anything. It has a lot more to say than just that, though, of course. Now, uh, this is one I, I thought was so funny is that, and this really says everything you need to know about Judaism because it says this is Rabbi Fred Sherlinder Dobe. He said this, I said this one before, I, I, I quoted this one before because it's so hilarious. It says, truth be told, this is a Jewish rabbi saying this, obviously rabbi. Truth be told, the Messiah has probably been here a few hundred times, but got spat on the way to, at this way to school or told he wasn't Jewish enough or had to reconvert or got ousted from a temple board meeting because he couldn't pay the dues. Who knows? So here's a rabbi fully admitting that ah, the Messiah probably did show up, but he wasn't Jewish enough. And so we probably rejected him. That's quite an admission there. So in other words, like, so maybe maybe your Messiah already did show up. Name uh, LJC, Lord Jesus Christ, and then you just rejected him. Maybe that's what Maybe that's what this whole New Testament thing is about. Okay. So... I want you guys to understand that the Bible, and this is why we harp so much on the King James, and it's not even a version. I keep saying King James version. I think, I think who's here? Jacob Laws schooled me on that. He's like, dude, it's not a version of the Bible. It's just the Bible. So, um, welcome to nobody on Rockfin. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> what is this going on? Huh? What is going on here? Oh yeah, you gotta. You just gotta. Yeah, pack that out. All right. What I want you guys to think about when um, you look at the the this is why I harp on the King James Bible so much is that there's clearly you know once again just looking at this not even religiously or spiritually or you know, have any sort of bias towards Christianity whatsoever. Just as somebody who's like you know that can has studied classical works of literature and classic works, you know, that sort of thing, you can just do a cross-comparative analysis at the different Bibles and clearly see that the King James, it just has a, a, there's a certain, what's the word, austerity? That's not the word. There's just a certain, it elevates itself by its own merits. You can just clearly tell that it's a, a, a book that a, a ton of attention, time um, has gone into it. And when you compare it to the other versions of the Bible, they're just God awful. It's just a fact. They're just terrible. And so what, I'm tr what I'd like you guys to understand is that when I teach this book right here, what I'm saying is that this book has been an encoded book. However it's, however it's come to pass, whoever did this, I don't know. But what we can say is that, or what I'm going to um, present and what I have presented is that this book is highly encoded. It's an encrypted document. And it's no different, I am, I'm saying the genius of this thing right here 
the Bible, is no different than what, what we construe the Gothic cathedrals of Europe and, you know, these, these masterworks of architecture. When you look at what's on the left there, you look at that and you're like, holy cow, somebody took a lot of time to put every brick in the right place. There's nothing in these buildings that is out of place or, you know, that's like, they're, they're all like the artistry that goes into them, the masonry, that's like, they're symmetrical, they're proportioned, they have all these, we know for a fact, absolute fact, there's a bunch of mathematical constants and stuff like that when it comes into the architecture, the blueprinting, that sort of stuff. When you look at the building on the left, you're like, that is a masterwork of engineering and architecture. Whoever put that together, put every, every, you know, brick and stone was placed perfectly. I want you to understand that the Bible is what I'm saying is no different. That the Holy Bible was, once again, when you talk about the King James, that every word is placed specifically, perfectly, that sort of thing. And that none of this was done, um, you know, arbitrarily. And this understanding of what the Bible is has been lost to most uh, religious people of today, you know, uh, especially because of all the terrible translations. Uh, and this is what I'd like to try to really get into your guys' head. When you look at the architect, look at it as an architect, right? This T-E-X-T and T-E-C-T, this, this idea. This is like, you know, when you look at the Bible, look at it the same way that you would look at one of these cathedrals. And like, this is a masterwork of engineering. Whoever put this together, nothing was put, nothing was done arbitrarily. There's no right corners that's not 90 degrees. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just perfect. Bible's no different. And what we're going to, when you understand it that way, then you can go and actually extract the higher levels of, of wisdom and information in there. Scientific information. And that's what we're going to do right now. Gnostic revelation. $10. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Am I like way behind here? I keep getting behind here on my the live stream here. Sorry. Okay. Amen. Yes. Hopefully you, you got that. So so we, we went over this. So um, architect architecture. Now let's go back to this first line. Okay. So I'll, let me uh, let me stop here rewind. So we did this. So we said there's the first line here. It's the first line of Matthew. It's chapter one, verse one in a, in a book called Matthew. Matthew. I'm sure it's a coincidence. I'm sure phonetics have nothing to do with the development and uh, workings of language. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the first line. Then, after that first line, it goes, blah, 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 Abraham and Judas and Jacob and Pharisees and Ezra. And then it gives you this laundry list of genealogy. So let's look at this first line. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay. This is architect, architect, architectual, if you will. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, when we put it into the septenary cipher, like I said, a little bit of math today, you get the number. This is the first line. It's got to be important, right? Just like Genesis 1-1 in the Old Testament. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's a primer. That's a primer, if you will. That's the introductory statement to help that allows you to understand the rest of the text. The, this is no different. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's three things. Three things, Christ, David, Abraham. The gematria total of this equals 265. Who cares? Who cares? No, so what? Now, once again, this requires a study of, a, a deep study of sacred geometry um, to understand what's going on here. What the architect, you will, the architect, if you will, the architect behind this, uh, the, the, the language here. 
The gematria total of this equals 265. Well, if we're going to we're going to study a lot of the Vesca Pisces today, as I said. Well, this number, 265, if you'd studied, once again, sacred geometry, this number will pop right out at you. To the, to the average person or whatever that doesn't study this stuff, that means nothing. Nothing. 265, so what? Who cares? Right? If you'd studied sacred geometry, though, that number will jump right out at you. Because it's a number that's directly related to the fish. To the Vesca Pisces. So the Vesca Pisces is a, what do we got here? Lucy Short, $10. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Amor. Amor. Walking Hug Russell. I think I said thank you. Thank you so much. I got a flying little dude there. Okay, let's keep going. So 265, this is the Gematria total. I'm going to walk you through this stuff so you guys know. Uh, Book of Generation, Jesus Christ, Son of David, Son of Abraham, 265. That's the total of that. That is related directly to the center of the Vesca Pisces. The Vesca Pisces is two circles overlapping on, its, on each other's centers. It is a quintessential, fundamental, we could say, not even say, absolutely prove it's one of these axiomatic symbols of, uh, of Christianity. Meaning that, you know, well, I'll show you that in just a second, but, um, uh, boom, 265. If you make the, the fish, the, the center of the fish, 265, it will proportion out to 153. The center of the fish, the mandorla or the almond, the bladder of the fish, it's, all, it's, called, it's all called a geometric womb as well. Center of the womb, we've talked about this. 265, 153. 265, 153. So 265 is directly related to the Vesca Pisces. And it's the first number you're given in Matthew 1 1. Okay, so we see that equals 265. That's the Vesca Pisces. Uh, there's the Vesca Pisces again. 153, we know from Scripture. And this is all these subtle ways in which the, they're literally, this architect is actually trying to tell you about architecture of this creation. So Simon Peter, this is in John 21, 11. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. So here you have the story in Johnny Boy there. And he's, he's, he's like on board a ship, and he's got his disciples. He's like, hey guys, just cast your net to the right, and you're going to catch a hundred and fifty-three fish. Why 153? Most biblical scholars, that means nothing. They don't care. It do, like They'll just look past that verse. Anybody that tries to bring any explanation as to why 153 fish, that's all Gnostic, mystical, blah, 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 blah. Why did the biblical writers think it was so important to tell you how many fish that Simon caught? But when it comes to when Mary was born, eh, who cares? That just seems like information we could just totally throw out. Who gives a shit? So you mean to tell me that the biblical writers, they thought it was so important to tell you 153 fish and that number somehow arbitrary? No. And this just goes to show you once again, I don't mean to harp on it, but just how lost modern Christians are when it comes to understanding anything of their Bible, literally anything. The 153 fish, the fish is found right exactly where you find the symbol of the Jesus fish, the ictus fish. This symbol right here that, that Matthew, Matthew, Matthew is giving you, 265, the very intro is telling you about fundamental geometry. And guess what? You find it again in scripture. 
They go to catch a bunch of fish. 153 of them. Why? Because they're trying to tell you about fundamentals of geometry. Jesus is a carpenter. Do you think he knew about this sort of stuff? Obviously. 265 divided by 153, the proportionality of that gives you the square root of 3. 265 divided by 153 gives you the square root of 3. What's funny is that 17 is the is the 17th, or excuse me, 153, this number of fishes that's found in the fish, is begotten by looking at the 17 triangular number. So if you go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and you add those up, do you know what you're going to get? 153. And it's all begotten from the number 17. Well, guess what all of these, the generation is begotten from? Abraham. And what's Abraham? It's the last line of the, the sentence here. The book of the generation, this is the generations, from this dude, Abraham. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It all starts from Abraham. What is Abraham in Gematria? 17. What's adding 1 through 17? 153. So this line here is 265. And the last thing it tells you about is the number 17, which is what? 17 triangular number, 153, 265 divided by 153. All numbers derived right from this verse. And what does it give you? The square root of 3. 265 divided by 153. The square root of 3. I'll say it again. It gives you the square root of 3. There's 1 through 17 added together equals 153. Why is the Vesca Pisces important? Well, even if we, even if we, I was not to tell you why the Vesca Pisces was important. Let me ask you this question. Is the Vesica Pisces, as a geometric form, is it important to Christianity when it comes to art and architecture, paintings, wood carvings, stonework? The answer is a big fat yes. Because there is countless examples of literally all over the world of Jesus being nestled within the Vesca Pisces. The center, that mandorla, the very thing that we just measured, the very numbers that have been given to us in this first verse that we just measured, those numbers that are given to you are pointing to a specific geometric form. And what is it? The very thing in which Jesus is emerging from. Now, this whole chapter is about the birth of Jesus. It's about the birth of Jesus Christ, as we'll see. And the mandorla, or the almond, that center of the Vesca Pisces, is considered a geometric, geometric womb. In other words, what do you have right there? Jesus being born out of a center of a, a geometric form. That center of that geometric form has been given extremely you know, specific mathematics. Where do we find those mathematics? In verse 1 of the Bible. This is the uh, facade of one of the cathedrals that we saw in, in Prague. This was like the, the main you know, the entrances. I think are right to the left and right of this. And what do you guys see there? Once again, did the, the, the carpenters and masons that were constructing these masterworks of architecture, 
do you think they knew 153 and 265 and the square root of three? So in other words, if they were going to build these massive cathedrals that were going to house, you know, that were there to go and worship the Lord, and then on the facade, they put the very mathematics that you find in Matthew 1.1, do you think there's a connection there? Now, most Christians will tell you no. They'll say, no, that's got, it's just making up numbers, it's, you know, putting things, okay, okay. I'm going to go with whoever built this shit. I'm going to go with what they think <laughs> as opposed to the opinions of a bunch of people that are picking up this thing and having zero understanding what's going on in it. Yeah, I'll go with them any day. I'll go with the people that, that drew and created this sort of art. Do you think they knew what the purpose of the Vesca Pisces was all about? Of course they did. Modern people... The Jesus fish is stemmed from this geometric form. And for some reason, a lot of Christians, they can't make the connection. I don't know. Or even if they do make the connection, why is that important? We just spent the last, I think, two live streams. We did one on the alchemical, um, alchemy of astrology. And then we looked at the symbolism of the alphabet. And do you know what was the symbol that we used to decode both of those things? Our alphabet and what's upstairs, the Zodiac? You guys were there if you watched, which you should have been. I don't know why you're not attending church on a regular. We saw that it was all of those things. In order to understand them, it was quintessential to know this symbol. It was absolutely quintessential. And then here you have the Christians being like, what? You got to know the symbol. Hey, guess what? Our Savior, we're going to symbolize by this thing. That's what we're going to do. To show you and tell you symbolically how important this is. What else does the Vesca Pisces do? I'm just going to mention this. Well, you can use two Vesca Pisces to find your basic axiomatic triangle that squares the circle. Now, that's a bunch of words to people. that <laughs> you know, I talk about this in the book. We've covered squaring the circle many times. But you can use this fundamental geometric form to find this fundamental geometry. There's a ton of stuff you can get within the Vesca Pisces. I'm not even going to bother covering it right here. So the reason that they're telling you, Matthew, 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 Matthew is telling you about some math. You, math. Matthew is telling you about some math. And how fundamental and important that mathematics is when it comes to understanding the design of this creation. And, how man, and, and the, the, those fundamentals that man can come to understand in that design. So there's a ton of math there. Golden ratio, square root of two, square root of three, square root of five. You can find the Vesca, you know, once again, you can find the squaring the circle using the Vesca Pisces. There's all sorts of things. Um, what do you think? This is the UN. This is the UN. What do you think? See that, the painting in the center there? What's in the center of that entire painting, guys? What is that? Well, it's a Vesca Pisces. It's the center of the Vesca Pisces. It's the Mandorla. Here's a better picture of it. Here's the UN. Here's the center. Why would they have the, the symbol of that, you know, that mimics the Jesus fish in the center there? What do the people at the UN, what do they know? And what are they not telling humanity? Do you think they know a bit about architecture? Do you think they know about the architecture of this creation? Do you think they know about the importance of symbols like this? I don't know. Speculation. Okay. So, the square root of three is found in that Vesca Pisces. The very symbol in which gives us the Jesus fish, we find fundamental, universal, fundamental mathematical constants available to all people, the same for all people. 
Square root of 3 is what we found there. As you can see in the right-hand corner there, there's your square root of 3. Okay, where else do we find the square root of 3? Well, it's prominent in, let's take the top one there, the equilateral triangle. Have we seen the equilateral? If you guys, once again, have been attending church on the regular, as you should, you would know exactly what I say when I say, oh, the equilateral triangle, that refers to God and the Trinity. As we've, as we've uncovered it, talked about it in the books and that sort of thing. You find all those references to God. He's got a triangle behind him. we got Christ. He's got a triangle behind his head. Why? Well, one of the reasons is uh, fundamental geometry that's, once again, universals. Mathematical constants. Square root of three found in the equilateral triangle related to God. Let's go to the right there. God, in Revelation, his city is a cube. It's a cube. Once again, most most Christians that you say cube, they're like, oh, black cube of Saturn, evil people. What does the cube have anything to do with blah, 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 blah. And then you read in the book and it says, hey, the city where God is, is in the shape of a cube. Four square and its height and length and breadth are equal. Then you go to that city of God where the height is four square and the height and length and breadth are all equal. And what do you find in that city of God? The square root of three. Let's go to the hexagon, the hexagram. You mean like the Star of David, like the Seal of Solomon, the Mogan David, that sort of thing. A symbol that's not just, of course, related to Jewish people. It's found across the damn world because it's universal, because it's geometry. What do you find in the hexagon? The square root of three again. So here you find in the, the fundamental, the square root of three in the equilateral triangle, the perfect cube, the perfect hexagon, and then in the very symbol in which we derive the Jesus fish. Now, now this is going to get a laugh for, from some people. This is going to get a laugh. But what did we just do? What did we just do in the book? Tell You guys tell me what did we just do. Um, let me go back here. It starts out with telling us that there are three generations. Generations of Christ, David, and Abraham. And it's going to lead to Christ. So it's the first thing it tells you is about the book of the generation of Christ, David, and Abraham. Which is, which is what? What is it telling you? It's telling you about the root, the root of these three, Abraham, David, and Christ. Literally, the chapter is telling you about the root, as in the square root, of three things. Abraham, David, Christ. Even separated. Tells you. It's like, and then we separated these things. 14 and 14 and 14. Genealogy. This is, it literally is the generations, which comes from genealogy, genes, generation. Uh, it's a line of descent. It's a tracing of a family. It's generation descent. It's a study of family trees. So when you start, what are you doing when you study your family tree? You're trying to figure out your roots. That's what it is. I want to find out where I'm, oh, I found out that my great, great uncle comes from, you know, <clears throat> Ireland and he was, you know, had a poor pension to drink and like tomato or like potatoes, you know, it's, it's like, wow, that makes sense because I, me too. So, um, a line of descent, a tracing of, that's literally rooting. You're finding your roots. Then you go to the very line and what does it say? Roots of three things. Then you go and actually look at the math encoded in that line and what do you find? The root of three things. 
once again, people could argue that. You could argue that math. Oh, that's silly. But guess what? Do you know what's not silly? 265 and 153, it's absolutely verifiable, 100% repeatable, universal, and incorruptible. If you draw a perfect Vesica Pisces, you know what's going to happen? That ratio is always going to be the same. And it's always going to lead you to 265 and 153. And do you know what that is? The square root of Abraham, David, and Christ. Square rooted. Eric C. Thank you, Marty and family. B. Thank you so much, brother. 5350. Mark Brotherson. 1111 Weekly Tithe. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for that. Liz the Iron Maiden coming in. Once again, I want to make sure I, I, don't, I don't miss you guys. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate that. You guys all getting it thus far? Yeah, mathematical proof that the Bible is the word of God. This is, yeah, Jacob, this is this is what I mean. When, when you know, when you say that, the, this is what I, stop here. This is going to be like another half hour. You know, when I went to the Bible as not a fo- like not a follower, I wasn't reared into this Christianity. I was in fact completely antithetical to all this other stuff. I said, if the Bible is of the merit that everybody says it is, I should, ha- I should be able to extract higher levels of wisdom information within that bible that i am not uh, that i'm not privy to or, or in other words this book should allow me to expand my consciousness my understanding my morality all that sort of stuff that's the purpose of it so if that's the case then i should have i should be able to go in and literally deduce extract higher levels of information from it which of course if there's going to be any verifiability or repeatability to that information it must be scientific well what do you think we're doing here what do you think we're doing here? As I just said, anybody that draws the Vesca Pisces, it doesn't matter where you're from, what language you speak, what race you are, what you believe, who gives a shit about your beliefs? You go and draw that, you know what you're going to find? The exact same thing the ex- every single time. And do you know what that's going to lead you to? Everything that's being told you in these opening lines. So... What's more, not only is it Matthew, not only Matthew, but it's given you all these generations. Once again, we know why, because it needs to establish, we need to establish Jesus as part of that lineage of that heritage. So when he comes out and uproots that, they can't be like, well, you're from, you're not, you're a non, you're a Gentile, you're non-Jew, you're not like, nope, 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 sorry. So we understand that. Why did the Bible give us this laundry list of genealogy? And then it separated it into three fourteens. It separated it into three fourteens. I'm going to say it again. And it separated it into three one fours. Why did it do that? Well, uh, it's of course we have the forty two generations. Sorry, I'm on the wrong graphic here. Too many graphics. Too many graphics. Of course, we know um, fourteen generations and fourteen generations and fourteen generations equals forty two. Let me go back here. I want to want to read read it here just so we're on the same page sorry sorry give me a second fluidity is a thing so all the generations from abraham this is ends on the 17 right so basically gives you the generations think about this gives you all the generations right there in the first 16 verses and then on the 17th verse it it sums it all up it basically bookmark bookmarks it and what's 1 through 17 it's 153 again 
And this is what the 17th verse says. So all the generations from Abraham, which equals 17, to David are 14 generations. From David until the carrying way into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying way into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. 14 plus 14 plus 14 is 42. What is 42? Once again, when you look at, uh, like, a, you know, cross... Um, you know, do comparative mythology, just look around the world of, of you know, similarities of concepts hinged or, or anchored on a number, you see the mysterious number 42. There's a 42-letter name of God um, in Hebrew Kabbalah. 42-letter, uh, in fact, I've got the graphic here. It's pretty, pretty famous. I think that's the 42, I think that's what that is, 42-letter name of God. Um, regardless, 42 divine principles of Mat. So the Egyptians had this these principles in which they were considered the principles of law, order, and truth. Essentially moral guidelines that you're to follow on earth in order for you to reach salvation. And what, is it, what does it have to say? 42? It's all based on 42? <laughs> okay. So Douglas Adams, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, they mentioned 42 in that as well. It's the answer to life. A lot of people know that. But okay, so once again, so what? Okay, so... Egyptians, who gives a shit? Forty-two letter name, God, who cares? Some some Douglas Adams fictional writer, forty-two, who cares? What does forty-two have to do with me, my relationship to God, and salvation? Why? Why? What? What's up with the forty-two? Well, we can find the number forty-two within the rainbow. So once again, this whole cipher is based on the number seven. The entire creation of the world according to Genesis, is six resting on seven. We see seven permeates across the world as an, like more often considered a sacred or holy number, without question. Um, seven, uh, 54 times I think the number seven is mentioned in, in Revelation. Okay, So here we have the seven colors of the rainbow, and it's dictated by an angle of 42 degrees. 42 degrees, there's the anti-solar point, when you look up at, you know, to the, basically it's like you're looking at the center of the rainbow and then you look up from where the rainbow is and that's, you know, generally understood to be 42 degrees. Okay, so I'll show that again. Um, once again, 42, there's your rainbow. It's almost like it's like a, it's like a dome almost. It's like, it's like there's a dome or something. Why is this important? So we have the 42 generations of Jesus Christ, them hinging on the number 42. And why is this important? Well, number one, it points to the rainbow and the number seven, number seven being pretty important. Where do we find the number seven? Right on our hands. For those of you that don't know, right on our hands, 28 phalanges, adding one through seven is 28. I'm not going to go over that again. Um, here's the covenant. Oh, yes. <laughs> here's a... Uh... Uh, here's the covenant that we have made with God. God has made with us. God says, I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. This symbol of the rainbow is a, it's a symbol of a covenant, an agreement that we've made with God. What is that ultimate agreement? Well, to follow God's will and God's law and be moral and, you know, send your soul back home, that sort of thing. And this is understood this whole covenant that we have with God is understood through a natural symbol. That natural symbol is the rainbow. The only way that we're going to understand the higher meaning, the, the deeper meaning of a rainbow is what? If we go into that rainbow and extricate all of its higher symbols, how do we do that? What medium do we have in order to do that? What medium has God given us in order to do that? 
a universal one. Math, you. Math. That's how we uncover the meanings behind these things. The Vesca Pisces means nothing. It has no meaning unless you understand the language in which that symbol has been written, has been created. What is that? Mathematics. How about this? How about the living symbol of the rainbow? How do we understand the deeper meaning of the rainbow? Well, it gives you seven colors. Is seven important? Then it gives you the number 42. What is the rainbow? And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud and the bow and the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. <clears throat> so, what does that number 42 have to do? Apparently, within a single number, it links you to the covenant, the agreement that God has made with us. We have with God. And um, now we're going to pass, we're going to take a few seconds here, and we're going to pass the collection plate. Here it is. Yeah, here it is. Show me the money. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. There's the collection plate. It's a virtual collection plate, as we know. And that's a lot of fun. Um, so if you want to, you can go to buymeacoffee.com. Marty Leeds 33 is the best way. Actually, I think it's, I think that's changed now. I think it's now Gnostic Academy. So it's buymeacoffee.com at Gnostic Academy. Not that. So anyway. So yes, I, yeah, that's funny. So take the rainbow back. Yeah. And the rainbow, by the way, uh, I just want to say this. The rainbow has been, uh, it's in other cultures as well that you have this sort of same idea. We talk about the Norse. It's, it's, a, it's a connection between the heaven and the earth. <laughs> pretty much the same sort of thing same sort of symbolism happening there you know and so once again fundamental geometry behind that that express that uh you know living expression of of our covenant um okay so one more thing here so there's your rainbow um but it also says this oh my god totally says all the generations from this is the cryptic way and these things are written so once again they thought it was so important to let you know that all oh, the generations were split into 14 and 14 and 14. You got to know as the writer or as the as the reader. Oh my god, how many generations were there to Jesus and they're split into 14? Why is that important information at all to your salvation, morality, ethics, anything? What does it have to do with anything? Well, once again, when you understand that this is cryptic that they're actually trying to unveil other things within this, right? Then there's nothing, no problem with this. What are the 14? The three 14s. 14 generations, 14 generations, and 14 generations. It's three 14s. Three 14s. It's literally a, a, a cryptic reference to pi. So the first verse tells you about 265, which leads you to 153 which is, gives you the Vesca Pisces and the cube and the hexagon and the equilateral triangle and all the stuff that comes with that. The square root of two, the square root of three, five, you know, phi, the square root of five. It tells you about the fact that we have a geometric form which, which uh, relates to birth, which of course relates to rebirth, all in a symbol. And all of this stuff is understood mathematically. It tells you all about that. Then it gets to 17, which adding one through 17 is 
153 again. Then it tells you what? Some more Matthew tells you about. 3.14 is a reference to pi. Three fourteens. Three, one, four, three fourteens. Now, how else is this a reference to pi? How do we know that the number 42 is yet again a reference to pi? Once again, this will be a review for some people. My buy me a coffee page doesn't work. So, it doesn't? Yeah, I screwed that up. I screwed that up. Uh, he should be. Dave has every right to be disappointed. <laughs> That's all right. I can dis I can disappoint the congregation. So um, so yeah, it's at what is it now, baby? Right, buymeacoffee.com dot com at what? Uh, it's Gnostic Academy. Gnostic Academy. So it's yeah, I'll put it in. okay. So Jennifer's going to put in buymeacoffee.com dot com slash Gnostic Academy, and what you guys should do is show me that money. That's what I'm saying. You know. Show me the money. That's right. <laughs> okay, that's enough of that. So, 42 generations. Uh, we saw 314, 314, 314, reference to pi. How else do we know that this is a reference to pi? Um, Forty-two generations to Christ. 42, and they're separated into 14, 14, and 14, being three 14s. And then you have what? Well, right the, the place, right in the number line where pi is, is, <laughs> is uh, unveiled. Walking right up, you have uh, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. And right where those three, three, th those three numbers are unveiled is right. 31415. 31415. What is that? It's the first five numbers of pi. All you have to do is add your decimal place there. And what you have is God. This is what uh, this is what is being unveiled to us by the Creator Himself in the unfolding sequential number line that is completely um incorruptible. What comes after one? Two. What comes after two? Three. What comes after three? Four. What comes after four? Five. Those things are, that's that's our sequential, uh, sequential, excuse me, sequential unfolding number line. And it's it goes that way into infinity. And guess who created that number line? God. God did that. So in the design of that number line, guess what we find? The three numbers, 13, 14, and 15, that unveil pi. And guess what happens when you add 13 plus 14 plus 15? You get the three 14s. Three 14s. 13 plus 14 plus 15 equals 42. 14 plus 14 plus 14 equals 42. And 14, 14, 14 is three fourteens. That is a lot of reference to pi. So here we have, we just got to verse 17. And we have this slew of, of, uh, of generations, right? And then it leads to this thing. And what is it telling you? A bunch of universal constants. Like a bunch of them. Um, there it is. You actually find 13, 14, and 15 between the numbers. 12 and 16, you find this, 13, 14, 15. Once again, mirror those numbers, 3, 1, 4, 1, 5, 1. That's, a, that's you know, 3.14151 is an approximation of pi that's 99.98% correct or something. <clears throat> Naturally unfolding. Okay, so there's, uh, how, else do we, how else do we know that pi is being referenced? Well, just look between your holy and your Bible. Look between holy and Bible. 
Holy equals 12, Bible equals 16. What do you find between holy and Bible? Holy equals 12, Bible equals 16. Deborah Stille. Thank you, Marty. I'm getting better at the math and learning how to use it. Thank you. I'm glad. It takes a while. It does. You have to start with the, the, the once again, the, the rudiments, elementary, and sort of build your knowledge from there. But it is math is a language, and you can learn the language. Uh, between Holy and Bible is 13, 14, and 15. Once again, just walking up. What are those? 3, 1, 4, 1, 5, 1. Pi. 13 plus 14 plus 15 is 42. So the 42 generations, the number 42, in other words, that covenant that we have with God that's understood in the rainbow, that's right between Holy and Bible. So let's look at those 42 generations. Now, wait for this, guys. If you, uh, this, is, this is just incredible. Anybody can double-check this math. I encourage you to double-check this math. Don't trust me. Double-check the math. What you'll find out is, well, you, I provided you a calculator. You can do all this yourself. Those 42 generations that tell us about 314s, which tell us about pi, which tells us about 42, which tells us about 13, 14, and 15, which tells us about pi. Do you know what else those 42 generations encode? Pi. Um, here's the gematria total for the 42 generations. And you can, once again, I'll, uh, I'll show these here. And you can actually mark these off. You can go through the Bible that you've bought at GnosticAcademy.org. And you can, uh, you know, highlight these. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judas, we got Ferris, and Zara. Zara being one of them. Ferris, Esram, Aram, Aminadab, etc., etc. I'm just going to show this. You can go and put the calculator, or uh, like I said, you, I like to say, don't put the calculator to it. Do this by hand. Don't use the calculator. Learn the math. Do it by hand. Um, you can take the 42 generations to Christ. And it says specifically Christ here. So we're not using Jesus. So the last word there is Christ and not Jesus. Why are we doing? Why are we using Christ and not Jesus? Because scripture tells us to. Scripture literally informs us that we're supposed to use the word Christ here. Why? Um, let me go back here. I got them all over the place today. I can't find my graphics. Uh, it says there, it says from the, it starts with Christ, it says to Christ. Then it says, uh, David, David to Bab Abraham to David, David to Babylon, Babylon to Christ, to Christ. So here we have the 42 generations of Christ. There's all of it right there. It equals the total is 766. Okay, does everybody get that? You can screenshot it. Once again, write them all out just as it's, just as it's in the King James Bible. You'll find the total is 766. Right below all of those, you guys can all see there, right below all of those, is what? It's the reduction of all those numbers. Okay, so let's look at the first one. Abraham. Abraham, as we know, is 17. I know it's a lot of math. But uh, 17, 1 plus 7 reduces to 8. Isaac is the next one. Isaac is 16, as you can see on the top left there. Isaac, 1 plus 6 is what? 7. Jacob. Jacob is what? 12. 1 plus 2 is 3. Judas, 21. 2 plus 1 is 3, etc. So you can take all the reduced values of all of these 42 generations right there, okay? Well, when you add all of the reduced values up, so you get total 766 for its total. The reduced value is 244. Once again, you can double check all the math yourself and I encourage you to do it. 766 for the total. The, of the 42 generations, the reduced total is 244. 766 and 244. 
Do you know what 766 divided by 244 is? It's 3.139. In other words, taking these two numbers, all you have to do is round up the third decimal place. The thousandth decimal place. What is it? Tens, hundred thousands? To 3.14. Once again, rounding up, it's no different than saying 3.1415, we round that up to 3.142. It's no different than saying, oh, 2.718 is E, we round that up to 2.72. Rounding up, especially when it comes to um, uh, infinite numbers, they have to be rounded. They have to be abbreviated and approximated. E, phi, pi, doesn't matter. Have to approximate it. So pi needs to be approximated, period. It's just how it works. And here you have the 42 generations, and what do you have? Pi. Yet again, double check the math. Don't trust me. It's all right there. So let's go over this one more time. 42 generations. That leads to 13, 14, and 15. What's unveiled in 13, 14, and 15? 3, 1, 4, 1, 5, 1. Then it tells you that there's 14 generations, 14 generations, and 14 generations, which is what? Three fourteens, which is what? Another illusion, another reference, cryptic reference, poetic, subtle reference, not even subtle, to pi. Then we look at those 42 generations. It gives us 766. We find their natural reduction to be 244. And 766 divided by 244 is 3.139. Round it up simply to 3.14 pi. Ruth Scott, thank you so much. 1777, thank you so much. You guys are keeping this alive and it means the world to me. So, once again, all of that has been included in that. All of those names, all, whoever designed it, whoever crafted it, whoever, you know, was the blueprint behind Ark, who knows? Was it the grace and hand of God that led man throughout the whole writing and translating of the Bible? We have no idea. But do you know what we can find? Everything I just said, verifiable. It's not even a question. There, there's nothing to contend there. Does 13, 14, and 15 add to 42? Yes. Is that the unfolding of that those numbers in the number line? Yes. Are those the first five digits of pi? Yes. 314. Is that an allusion to pi? 314s? Yes. 265 divided by 153. Does that give you the square root of three? Yes. Is that found in the Vesco Pisces? Yes. Are those things that I just presented to you, literally everything, irrefutable? Yes. Now, everything that I just presented, what do the modern churches have to say about this? This all led to a symbol that we've, we just talked about quite a bit that led to this symbol here. Where are you? My Lord, am I lost today. led to the Vescopices. And what did this symbol lead us to in the last couple live streams? All of this math is leading you to a symbol. What is the message that we extract from this symbol? It's the same message that Jesus has. That symbol is a geometric, literally, womb. What's Jesus doing? Being born out of that womb. And what are we here to do? What are we here to do? You mean be born again? So what is that symbol referencing? The entire spiritual rebirth process. It's Matthew. It's you. Math. 
people that would laugh at this sort of thing, like, oh, Matthew, <laughs> I mean, blah, 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 have zero understanding about how, uh, how much phonetics actually um, and how interplay, wordplay, that sort of thing is happening all over the Bible. By abandoning that, what you by abandoning like the wordplay and that sort of stuff that's in the Bible, the the uh, high importance of phonetics, you lose a good portion of the story. That's all I'm gonna say. Let's keep moving on here. Um, let's keep moving on. Let's read here. Oops, my lord. Sorry, guys. Sorry, I should have doubled these graphics. I don't have to go back. Let's uh, let's read for, let's read on. Okay, so we got that. We got the forty-two. We got pi. Okay, we get it right. We did the forty-two generations. So all the generations from Abraham, David, fourteen, fourteen, fourteen. What's the next line? Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, which is exactly what the Vesca Pisces is showing, the birth of Christ. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with the with the child of the Holy Ghost. And read these and we'll, we'll come back to them. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Matthew one twenty says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel, angel is a reference to angle. All of this math, and guess what? This is once again when we talk about wordplay, phonetics, and stuff like this. Some people think angels are literally these like like little like babies that are like naked and then they have wings and then they like fly around and like land on your shoulder or something like that and then whisper into your ear like oh you know whatever um, no angel is literally a reference to angles like angles of light so all of this mathematics that we just found the Vesca Pisces and the reference to square root of three which refers to the hexagon and the, the equilateral triangle and the cube and then once again the square root of two square root of five pi a bunch of different places and all all of this sort of stuff and then the first then the next thing they tell you is what angles of light angels that's what it's a reference to in fact there's nine angles or angels in the Christian angelic hierarchy there's nine angles or angels in the Christian angelic hierarchy what are those angles? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Anyway, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angle of light from the Lord went down upon him. What's happening? Joseph is actually, what you're looking at here is Mary and Joseph undergoing an enlightenment. This is actually what's going on. I'll explain it. Appeared unto him a new dream, the Lord did, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take thee unto thee, uh, Mary, thy wife. Don't worry about taking her wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She conceived the Holy Ghost. Joseph understood this. And because he received an angle of light in a dream, in a dream world, in a metaphysical world. That's because he's saying, appeared to him in a dream, in a metaphysical world. He had this angle of light that illuminate him about his circumstances. In other words. Let's keep reading. My Lord, too many graphics. <sighs> okay. And she, and then, then it goes on to say this. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Okay. Let's stop there. Some more math here. So now this is, uh, this is the prophecy, right? This is the prophecy. I mean, there's actually a couple prophecies here. The, we'll see. Says, okay, so Mary is 
conceived of the Holy Ghost within her. Joseph recognized it from an angle of light in a dream. And they're saying, okay, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save people from their sins. What is the gematria total of this line? And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That equals 360. On the nut, on the nubbin, on the nose. Did I lose my stream here? 360. You see that? 153 watching right now. <laughs> hi, 100, hi, 17 triangular number, everyone. Uh, 360. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What is 360? Well, once again, you don't have to be advanced in geometry and mathematics to understand 360 is related to the circle and the square. It's the degrees of the circle and the square. Once again, what is that? It, without a study of sacred geometry, without understanding God's universal language, that means nothing. 360, oh well, right? Well, actually, it refers to heaven and earth. Both The number 360 refers to both heaven and earth. And this is exactly what's being said in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created the 360 degrees of a circle, and God created the 360 degrees of a square. And do you know what those two things reference? Squaring the circle. Squaring the circle, 360 degrees of the square, 360 degrees of the circle, they combine to do, to do what? Form that triangle, but where? How, how do we find this? You use the Vesca Pisces. The amount of things that's going on in this first chapter, like just the amount of mathematics that's being referenced that will be completely and wholly denied by pretty much everybody that picks this up, is incredible. And guess what? I think that's part of the deal. I think it's put there, partially it's put there, just as just as we know in alchemy, like there's things that are done or in the in like the Gnostic tradition, esoteric tradition, mystical tradition, a lot of times there's things that are done in order to like um, knock you off your course, literally to challenge you to challenge your beliefs, what what you think, that sort of thing. It's there specifically to do that. I think I think this is what's going on in this thing a whole bunch. You're you're presented with this line that for most people they're just like, oh, it's just a story. It's just the genealogy of Christ. We just got to know where it's rooted from. And in that is a whole bunch of architecture, a whole bunch of you know, once again, mathematical constants that are going to be denied by pretty much most of the people that pick this up. And I think that's part of how it works. I think that's how it works. So this is no arbitrary, you know, like this line here is, you know, it's like they're saying, it's like, this is the prophecy. She shall bring forth a son and his name will be called Jesus and he will save people from his sins. And then you look at the architecture behind this and what do you have? Heaven and earth. As, as he says in the end of this chapter, We'll get to this when we do the last 28 chapters. 28 chapters in Matthew. 
There's 28 chapters in math. Matthew, there's 28 chapters. Guys, listen. There's 28 chapters in Matthew, and it goes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. And 14 times 2 is the 28th, is 28, which is the seventh triangular number. There's 28 chapters. In the end of that chapter, do you know what it says? You know what Jesus says? All power is given me, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. It's literally one of the last things it says in Matthew. And one of the first things they tell you when it comes to Jesus is what? Literally the degrees of the geometric forms associated with heaven and earth. So, let's go back. Now let's extract this the higher spiritual, more of the spiritual message from this, okay? So, all this was done as the as the chapter says. So the fortitude generations, you know Joseph and Mary, and she was you know she conceived of the Holy Ghost, and the prophecy was given. The son's gonna be born, saved people from sins. We got it all. Then it goes on to say in, in, in Matthew one twenty two. Now all this was done. It was all done that it might be fulfilled. This is going to be fulfilled. Everything that you were just presented in these lines about Jesus being born from Abraham and the generations, everything like this, they're saying all this is going to be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. So there's another prophecy here that's being revealed. Another prophecy. Comma saying this, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. All of this is going to be fulfilled. And it's going to be fulfilled with under, according to this prophecy. And what does this prophecy tell us about? God with us. What is being said to, said to you in Matthew 1.23 here? Do you know what this is actually talking about? This is talking about enlightenment. This is talking about your process towards salvation. This is talking about death and resurrection. This is talking about you being reborn. Nicodemus says in John, is it? Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. And Nicodemus says, uh, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born. What, are you going to crawl back into your mama's stomach and then come out again and be like, oh, yeah, you know. I would hate to have my mom go through cesarean number two. It'd be kind of uncomfortable considering I'm kind of, you know, gained a little weight since, uh, since I was a baby. So no, obviously you can't go back into the mother's womb and actually be reborn again. So Nicodemus is like, what the heck are you talking about, Jesus? Well, one of the things that they're talking about is going back through the womb. Just as we did last Sunday and the one before that. And we saw it in the Zodiac and we saw it in the alphabet. How do you be reborn? You literally have to go through the womb just as Jesus is to be reborn. Okay? So... How can a man be born again? This is what this is talking about in these verses. 
So behold, a virgin shall be with the child. You are going to be born again. In other words, you're going to um, have Christ born within you. This is what this is talking about. Behold, a virgin. What's a virgin? Is this talking about, oh no, they're, they're talking about Mary here, right? This is what they're saying. If they were talking about Mary, specifically, and the, the, the story was already given. It's like, okay, Jesus is going to be born and you know, save these people from sins. And this is the prophecy. And then it gives you the prophecy again, except what does it tell you about? Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. If this prophecy, if this prophecy was meant to be Jesus, then why did it not say this? Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Jesus, period. While the sudden is the good book pointing to you because it's talking about your rebirth process. This is all leading to you. This whole section here of injecting Emmanuel into the middle of this story. Jesus is 42 generations. Mary's pregnant. Next thing you know, injected into the middle of this is Emmanuel. A prophecy about not Jesus, Emmanuel. Who's Emmanuel? Now, most people think, well, Emmanuel's Jesus. And then they don't mention Emmanuel again throughout the rest of the New Testament. Why didn't they just name it Jesus? Because this prophecy isn't about Jesus. This prophecy, just as it says, is about you. Behold, virgin, what are you supposed to do? Purify yourself. Just as we talked about last Sunday and the Sunday before that. You have to go through a process of regeneration, death and renewal, death and transformation, transformation and renewal, purifying the self, the soul, taking the rough ashlar stone and cleaning it up so you can have that perfect ashlar stone, that perfect cube that's got the square root of three in it, you know? Behold, you're going to verge, you're going to purify yourself. And when you do, you'll be, you'll be with the child. A new son, a new light will be born within you. And that light, that new birth, when you deny yourself, Kevin McNally, Marty Leeds, blah, 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 take that all away, take up the cross, and follow him, you're going to be born again. There's going to be a new light born within you. And that light is what? Emmanuel. And what is Emmanuel? God with us. They're literally targeting, pinpointing, using a crosshairs, if you will, and telling you exactly where the spirit light of God is. And that's within you. This verse is injected right into the story to put you into the tale of the book to put you to inject you into the story of the book it's like that movie um the never-ending story i think that's the one where that's the one i think right where at the end like he opens up the book and the big revelation is the reveal that oh i'm the character in the book everything that's going on right now is actually me in the book this is what they're trying to do here they're injecting you into the story um, then it goes on to say, so I'll get to Emmanuel in just a second. Then it goes on to say, then Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. What you actually have going on there is the alchemical marriage. Joseph coming together with Mary to give birth to what? Christ, the light within. Joseph was in sleep. He was in a sleep. So what do we have? We have the Holy Ghost was conceived of Mary. So she was with Christ. In other words, Christ was being born inside of her. Do you see what's happening? Joseph was sleeping. Then he was raised from his sleep. Do you know what's going on here? This is all a reference to essentially awakening to Christ within, enlightenment. 
Whenever you hear language within the Bible, he was raised from the dead. He woke from sleep. He was healed from sickness. He was blind, and now he can see. He was deaf, and now he can hear. He, they were hungry, but then Christ came and gave them the bread of life, and now they're no longer hungry. They're, they're no longer malnourished. They are full. Oh, they had unclean spirits, and they were cast out. Every time you see this, just like the seven devils that were cast out of Mary, right? Every time you see this, what you're talking about is the purification of the soul. This is literally a character that's undergoing awakening, enlightenment, the, the recognizing the Christ that is born within them. This is what's happening in this story. This is why you have Mary conceiving of the Holy Ghost, born, Christ is being born within her. Joseph being raised from sleep. He was in a sleep world. And then the angel came to him and said, guess what? Go marry her. Undergo that alchemical marriage. And when you undergo that alchemical marriage, guess what's going to be born? Christ. Just as the prophecy says. This is why you see Lazarus. Lazarus was sick. Lord, behold, he whom lovest is sick. Our friend Lazarus is sleeping. But I go that I may wake him up. Wait, I thought he was dead. Was he sick? He's sick. But no, he's sleeping. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest and sleep. Wait, so they thought he was talking about death, but there was like really just a rest and sleep. But was he sick? Is he dead? Is he sick? Is he sleeping? What is Lazarus? Lazarus is born again because he was raised by Christ. This is all stuff that's happening. This is spiritual, you know, metaphysical, uh, spiritual things that are happening within the human being. And it's all leading to this. <clears throat> The intro verse podcast that Chase has to say, I'm sorry, I'll stop that shit. I'm sorry. Uh, Emmanuel, Chase has to say, uh, Emmanuel is this in Hebrew, Om Nu'al, which is very similar to Olme, which is the virgin. Interesting. I did not know that. Interesting. So um, that's what you have going with all of this sort of language in the Bible. Whenever you see raised from dead, woke from sleep, healed from sickness, blind and can see, these are all subtle references to basically spiritual awakening, awakening to the Christ within. This is why we talk so much about Christ is within you. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. My little children, Galatians 4.19 says, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. All of these things talking about Christ within you. Then the Bible even tells you, guess where this spark of God is? That the, we're, that the prophecy right there is being related to Jesus, but it doesn't say Jesus. That The prophecy does not say Jesus. It's literally talking about you that you need to purify yourself you need to be born again you need to have that christ within you that light within you jesus being raised from sleep did as the angel lord bid him and took him on to his wife and knew her not until till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name jesus the alchemical marriage did not fully take or whatever that we want to say. There wasn't the perfect union until what? Until the firstborn son, the son comes in to play. The light is born. 
This is the phonetics of Emmanuel. E, uh, the, 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 let's see, the Latin letter E differs uh, a little from its source, the Greek letter epsilon E. This in turn comes from the Semitic letter He, which has been suggested to have started as a praying or calling human figure. So basically the letter E is started, it's once again, it's roots or whatever, is this sort of man that's calling out. It's a human figure that's like, you know, in jubilation, if you will, uh, in, um, you know, it's calling out, that sort of thing. Uh, praying. E, man. So you have a praying figure. Man. What is man? Well, it's you. What's the next one? You. <laughs> so E, man. You, a man. You, of course. L. What is L? God. L is the phonetic name for God. It's the root of Elohim, right? Even, um, once again, even phonetically, Elohim. That's God. The Canaanite name for God as well. So in the word Emmanuel, which is not giving you Jesus, they're not telling you about the prophecy of Jesus. They're telling you about the prophecy of you. And they're literally telling you this. They're saying God with us. Now, and so here you have Emmanuel, which is literally the word saying the exact same thing. Yes, God with us. Notice how many times um, Lord is capitalized. We're, this is something we'll talk about in the future. How many times Lord is capitalized in the Bible? You'll you'll find many instances where it'll say Lord and it'll just be like capital L-O-R-D. And then you'll find L-O-R-D where it's all caps, right? This is done specifically. And we'll, we don't have time to talk about that now. But notice how many times Lord is capitalized in the Bible. Now read the first chapter of Matthew and notice Jesus, who is called the Christ, is in all caps as well. What they're doing here in this verse is relating, is trying to tell you who your Lord is. Who your Lord is. Let me see. I'm going to make sure I got this. Give me a second. They're trying to tell you who your Lord is. Emmanuel, God with us. That means God is with us. That means God has centered himself within us. We have to go through a process of purification to allow that light to be born within us so that we undergo that enlightenment and come to Christ. God, the totality. Lord is the center point within you, that divine, this divine light, the essence, the spark of God. That is your Lord. That is the Lord. In other words, Christ resides within you just as the good book says he does. That's your Lord. So when in the in the in the good book here, whoops. So in the good book, so in here we see that Jesus is introduced right before and right after. This is what you you'll see. Um, let's go back here. Sorry, I want to make sure I'm Henry David here. Henry David Thoreau. Um, let's go back here. My Lord, too many graphics this morning. Um, right there. So we have Jesus, all caps. Jesus at the end, all caps. And sandwiched between those two, the two Jesus is what? The prophecy about you. So this is telling, this is, this is scripture informing you that when you say the Lord, my God, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is our Lord. Do you know what they're saying? They're saying this. That's our Lord. That's this is this is Jesus the Lord. Jesus, this is our Lord. This is our spark of God that exists within us. And people want to argue that that's fine, except all throughout the Bible it says that that's where Christ is. 
This is Emmanuel giving you a prophecy to tell you about the process of rebirth within you. And that's what the whole story is all about. That's what the whole process of Gnosis is all about. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God is with us. And this is really what the mysteries are all about. It is only by knowledge of these mysteries, which, however, uh, are simple, the natural laws of our own being and nature and those of the cosmos, that the individual can in any sense be saved. That is to say, can liberate himself from the powers of this lower world of matter and illusion. But the knowledge of these mysteries is simple. The knowledge of the self in all of its phases, for man is one with the one and only in his inmost nature. In this higher self, the real immortal eternal nature uh, in his inmost nature, in his higher self, his, his real immortal eternal nature. That's what's actually in us. That's who we actually are. That's when, when it says, deny yourself and take up the cross. This is what they're saying. Deny the, um, the fleeting, the passing, the mortal, the impermanent. Deny that and take up the cross and find what? The immortal eternal nature that is inmost in you. Thus the ancient Greek philosophers said, Man, know thyself. Thus also the great aphorism of the Upanishads, Thou, that art thou, that art thou, you are the God, the God is with us. And thus also Jacob Bohm said this, For the book in which all the mysteries lie is in man himself. He himself is the book of the being of all beings, seeing he is the likeness or similitude of God. The great arcanum lieth in him. Ancient, you know, Gnostics, uh, alchemists, that sort of thing, uh, Christian uh, mystics, that sort of thing, saying exactly, literally exactly what they're saying in Emmanuel. God with us, in you. I admonish thee, this comes from the, um, this was the root principle of the alchemists as well. Also concealed in their chemical symbolism, this is from the Arabian alchemist Abipili. I admonish thee, whoever thou art, that desire to dive in the inmost parts of nature, if that thou seekest, thou findest not within thee, thou will never find it without thee. If thou knowest not the excellency of thine own house, why dost thou seek after the excellency of other things? O man, know thyself. In there is hid the treasures of treasures. Some old crusty alchemist talking that nonsense and what is that alchemist saying what is that alchemist saying Emmanuel God with us all right that's gonna do it what do you guys think man what is this text again I think that Amor I'm pretty sure that comes from the book you gave me I think that was from William Kingsland was that last one which is really great um so thank you for that who is the alchemist again i don't know um sorry abipili he's pretty much reiterating the same thing that tons of these gnostics will say though you know that's essentially what they're saying that look like you gotta go you know you gotta go with within you know you gotta look to the self 
Um, if you don't start the investigation at square one and you're just constantly out here looking 2,000 years in the past trying to find Jesus, the Bible is telling you, no, that's not where you find Jesus. Emmanuel is with, with us. That's why that that prophecy is smack right in the middle of a story about generations and Mary's pregnant and 42 and they don't give you any dates of any of this shit happened, by the way. That didn't seem important. But then in the middle of all of this stuff, all of a sudden they throw a prophecy right in the middle of it about what? You. Why? It's crazy unfortunate. It just is what it is. I guess it's the time period that we live in. But it's crazy unfortunate that uh, majority of Christians will see a bunch of this as like devil worship. And it's literally the core teachings of Christianity. Speaking of Amor, um, he, he there was a where he lives there's like this sort of like gnostic church um they consider themselves gnostic or esoteric church things like that christian and um they have a, they have like a cabin up there and it's a bunch of people from like the chicago land area i want to say and they come up there a couple times a year and they do like retreats and and all this other stuff and they have the cabin open and so you know amor was kind of excited it was like oh you know maybe we could start teaching there and stuff like that and um so he contacted them and then he like, you know, basically introduced himself and then I think gave him a book or something like that. And they turned around and they were like, we want nothing to do with what you're talking about. <laughs> they literally was like, we don't want you coming to church. <laughs> so, these are Gnostics that are saying this stuff. So, you know, if their, if their approach is devil worship, I mean, what do you think that the modern churches are doing? You know? Most people would go their entire life reading that first chapter having no clue that any of that stuff is in there. But not only that, they're going to a place, a specific place in which that in, that kind of information is the kind of thing that the teachers, the preachers, the pastors, the ministers, the people that are there to carry on this tradition should be leading you to. Why is Jesus symbolized by a fish from the Vesica Pisces, please tell me why this is important, Pastor Bob. It's not going to happen. You're not going to get an answer. They don't have answers. Then somebody that comes and brings answers, they'd be the devil worshipers. I'm just telling, I'm just saying that Matthew, the you should do a little math and see if what I'm saying is true. You're going to find out it is. But don't trust me because we have to under, engage in the scientific process. So, anywho. Okay, guys, did, was that enjoyable? Did you uh, appreciate that? Did you like it? Did you... Taylor, Taylor Lord made Taylor. Cheryl Williams, we gotta, we gotta moderate you. Yeah, broke my heart. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly, you know. I had a great grandparents when she kind of talks about it clearly was an optimal list is yeah yeah okay okay that's gonna do it uh any other questions before we get going 70 percent of people don't have an inter monologue yeah that could be true um good job marty except for you know what <laughs> okay so all right so um so we'll see we'll see how long it takes as we continue to move on here and this church just keeps going, we'll see how long it takes. And don't don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath at all. We'll see how long it takes for all of these Christians out there that have all these channels and they're truth-seeking and all this other stuff to come and talk about any of this stuff. I don't give a shit 
about your opinion. Nobody's. Tell me something that's true. Show me something I can prove. Actually give me real information in which I can go and say, oh yes, that's true. Otherwise, I don't care about what your opinion is of this book. I've been listening to god-awful, pardon my language, ranting a little bit here, but I've been listening to ignorant, god-awful shit opinions about what this thing is my entire life. And I opened this church because I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of people that have half a heart, half a brain, ha you know, and, and going around literally claiming people are going to hell on behalf of their god-awful interpretation of this book. I'm not listening to it anymore. We're going to straighten people out. If, if it's, I'm going to do this my entire life, guys. I'm never going to stop. Even if I have to go get, another jo get a job full-time, I'm still going to do this on the side to set people straight. Because it's amazing the things that are being revealed in our own time. And it's also amazing to see people completely ignore it. Like a bunch of children. Can you not do basic math? Do you not want to know the, the very things that these absolutely, you know, incredibly intelligent people are trying to pass on to future generations. And you want to close that book. And it's the very book that you're picking up every day and reading. I'm never going to stop. I'm going to keep my mouth open. I'm going to continue to do this. And if people don't like it, I don't give a shit. We've got 27 more chapters to go. <laughs> and it's going to be a hoot. And for all of, you, all of you that are here and supportive of this channel and supportive of, of what we do here, I really appreciate it. You guys keep this thing going. And it, to me, it's, it's, one of, it's an extremely necessary thing. Um, you're not going, and I'm not tooting my own horn or being like, I'm some special boy, everything like that. I'm just saying that you're not going to get this information from anybody else. You're not going to get this level of information from anybody else, especially when it comes to Christians, because they have no idea what they're reading. And apparently they don't want to talk to me. So, uh, so for all the people that are here that pay attention, that do pick up the books and actually give this the time of day, I thank you very much. It means so much to me. I've wanted to do this my entire, I've wanted to do this for a living my, for my entire life. I mean, ever since the last 10 years, I've wanted to, you know, um, teach people about these sorts of things, you know, and um, I hope we can continue to do it. Because there's so much more, there's so much more can't wait to get to the next chapter it's so so banging so all right that's gonna do it for me thank you all um for all the support i, I once again it really means the world to me um how are we doing on rockfin i didn't say oh look at this oh number one on rockfin today jeremy hines thank you so much oh angie a tipped five bucks jen brewster jen brewster pious five dollars thank you so much John Snyder, you rule, man. I tune in every Sunday, so I better get your book and start tithing. Would love one of your Bibles. I'd be interested in you and I'd be interested in you and David Whitehead doing an interview on your thoughts on his Bible decoded series. Hey Jennifer, do you think David Whitehead is going to have me on and talk about the Bible? <laughs> no, David Whitehead. For the, you guys that don't know, David Whitehead is doing a. Um, he is called the Truth Warrior. I'm going to bitch a little bit here. He's called the Truth Warrior, and he's doing a Bible decode series. It's not doesn't want to really chat with me, but 
Um, so I went. I did a tour with David Whitehead across Canada. It was called the Modern Knowledge Tour. And David and I, David and I were like friends at the time. We chatted, you know, like once a week or at least communicated every once in a while. That sort of thing. I was on his show. He was on mine, et cetera, et cetera. That sort of thing. I, I got into a car with David and drove for no money whatsoever. I did the entire thing for free. I sold books, so it ended up making it worthwhile. But I didn't get paid at all. I got into a car with David Whitehead and drove literally across what is known as uh, China, Chinadia now, Canada, right? The great state of Canada from like province to province in the car with him we camped a bunch of days you know driving hours and hours smelling each other's farts and stuff like that drove this entire time did the entire tour modern knowledge tour with him at the end of the modern knowledge tour I was like Dave I'm a flat earther ever since then he hasn't spoken to me literally been years he won't he won't speak to me but he's a truth warrior a truth warrior that's going to, when it comes to this conversation about cosmology, I'm just going to... So, no, I don't think David Whitehead's going to talk to me anytime soon. Um, okay, thank you. I know he's lost in space, but thought his Bible series was interesting. Well, I don't know. I haven't I haven't watched it, but I would... But sure, I'd love to talk to him. Give him a call. Shoot him. Shoot him a message. <laughs> just like just like most people they're not going to pick up the phone to call this is the other hilarious thing you know what i give my phone i give my personal phone number out like to, on my packages books you know on the website i've like put it you know put it in the chats before i've given it out do you know how many people are like that are that are supposed to be like men online they're like yeah i'm tough i'm a man shit like that they're too scared to call me it's so hilarious. Like, I'm that intimidating to a bunch of real tough men. Five foot four bald Marty Leeds is too intimidating for most men of the truth community. I find it hilarious. So no, don't expect David Whitehead to give me a call anytime soon. I will pick up that phone, though. Speaking of calls, after this, I'm going to be speaking with uh, Wolfgang Helbig. So uh, if all goes well, so I will release that video on Rockfan. I obviously can't release it on YouTube, but I'll put it on Rumble and Bit Shootings and Odysseys or whatever the heck that is stuff. So I'm supposed to have a conversation with him and uh, get an update on what he's doing and everything that's happened to him. So just so you guys know. All right, I'm talking too much. I got to go. It's two hours. Thank you so much for all the tips on Rockfan and thank you guys for the support here on YouTube. I really appreciate it. Like I said, it's what you guys, uh, you, you guys keep this going. Andrew, uh, Andrzej Schultz, you do, Chris Kelver says, you do realize there's hundreds of videos exposing Freemasons as demonic pedophiles. Yes, and those videos are terrible, just so you know, Chris. I mean, that's one of the things I talk quite a bit about um, on this channel, like the amount of uh, nonsense surrounding Masonry as a bunch of demonic pedophiles, all that sort of stuff is just nonsense. And no, they're not actually taken off video uh, off YouTube. You can actually go and find this one video. It's from the guy that won... Oh, what's his name? He won. He was a singer, and he won some thing from Australia's Got Talent or something like that. And he made this big expose on on Freemasonry, calling all pedophiles and stuff like that. It's still up, like literally millions of views. If you did that with the ruffians, if you made the same video exposing the demonic pedophiles that are the ruffians, you know who the ruffians are, right? Those followers of the Old Testy. You know how fast that video would come down. It would, you. Ten minutes, an hour, right? So, anyway. <clears throat> in other words, you're placing the blame in the wrong place. You're placing the blame in the wrong place. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. No, Masons aren't down at the lodge. 
having sex with children and, and banging goats. That's not what's going on down there. And anybody that actually takes that position, like the, the, to me, it's just crazy irresponsible. It's crazy irresponsible because what you're actually doing is, is claiming that a bunch of people, for the most part, that are a bunch of old dudes, because that's really what masonry is for the most part of the day. It's a bunch of old dudes that literally do charity work. That's what it is, you know? Um, anyway, I'm ranting too much. Okay. Okay, okay. So, Chris Culver's got to go. <sighs> Sorry. Sorry, brother. You got to go. Uh, I've been talking about that for 10 years, and you're not going to argue with me about free... Have you read any of the books? Ever visited and talked to any Masons? You know, the idea that the Masons are behind everything is ridiculous. And it, it's literally childish truth-seeking. Is really what it is. If you're still blaming the Masons for stuff, and I know I get I, I get under people's skin by saying, oh, he's a part of masonry. I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. I don't care. I don't care. Read the books. Talk to Masons. I, You know, uh, everything, in fact... The reason that you guys are even tuned in here, you know where I learned a bunch of this stuff that we're unveiling through the Bible here? Masonry. The tradition of masonry. So, uh, it's so unfortunate. This is why I don't really um, hang out with much of the people in the truth community, and they don't really want to hang out with me, which is fine. Because I will take this position till I die, because I've already heard the other arguments. I've been hearing it my entire life. It's just like, it doesn't stand. It doesn't stand. And if you have, if like this guy was basically saying, oh, there was like t 10 people that were, 20 people that were convicted of pedophilia and they were Masons. How many people that are convicted of pedophilia that are not Masons? How many people that are in Masonry that were not convicted of pedophilia? How many other, how many people in Masonry are like Amor? They're just the most loving, caring people that you'll ever fucking meet. Pardon my language. Stop, stop. It's not helping anything. It's not, and it's not welcome here. I will literally, I don't care who it is. I will kick you out, whatever. It's not welcome here. This is not the church for that. Okay? Just so you know. <clears throat> okay, that's gonna do it for me. Is the Book of Mark video still on YouTube? Yes, it's one of the only videos I have on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, there's way too much propaganda out there about masonry and its narratives throw people off the path. Yes, thank you, Cheryl. The amount of... Uh, uh, Charlie Freak agrees with you interview? I don't think Charlie Freak wants to... Most of these people don't want to interview me, just so you know. Um, yeah, the, the amount of information throws everybody off the path. It's exactly what it is. And it's it's at this point, it's it's really childish and stupid. It is. It's childish. It's stupid. It's infantilizing. It's not helping anything. You're not getting to the core of anything. You know, you you make people freak out about a symbol. The the, the Freemasonic compasses and square is leading you to the mathematics of Genesis one one. But no, it means pedophilia or something. It's so dumb. Okay. Anyway, that's it. All right, I'm going to stop ranting. Thank you guys so much for joining me. If you guys do get a chance, stop on over to GnosticAcademy.org. Yes, yes. Uh, and just so you guys know, if there is anybody in the chat that starts peddling that stuff, kick them out. Just kick them out. I have zero, zero patience for that anymore in my life. Right? Um, I don't know what's going on here. Oh, here. Let's do this. Uh, if you guys want to support the work, you can go to GnosticAcademy.org. Yeah, exactly. Freemasons are the boogeyman. I know. It's it's truth-seeking light. It's truth-seeking for children. It's truth-seeking for, you know... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm 
Sorry, I just can't stand it. I can't stand it anymore. It's, yeah. After smelling each other's farts, yes, I know Virginia Dare. Okay, sorry. If you guys want to stop over to GnosticAcademy.org, you can become a member for 5 bucks a month, 14 quarterly, or 54 for the year. Um, it's a good place to donate, that sort of stuff. You can also go to buymeacoffee.com, and that's going to do it for me. Uh, guys, may you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. All right, that's going to do it. Guys, I'm gonna, we're going to listen to a song from, I played the song, it was one of the first songs that I played on my old podcast, Marta Lee's Mathematical Radio Hour. And it's from, from this woman, Elsa Va, and I don't know where she is, what she's doing anymore, but I really love this song, and it's called um, Take It With Me, I think is what it's called, something like that. Um, but anyway, so we're going to go out with this. So next week, uh, we will talk about Matthew 2. I think we'll just go right into the next verse. So... David Whitehead's Mars series is the funniest thing on the internet. Well, he literally, I, David, did hurt. I literally tuned, because I don't tune into him at all, but I tuned into him, this was probably like two, three weeks ago or something like that, just on, just on a whim. I saw he was live in Rockfin, and I was like, I'll tune in. And he was literally asking the question, can we trust NASA? <laughs> I was like, I was like, that was his question. It's like, are they really trustworthy? I don't know, is the rest of the government trustworthy? Like, why, like, anyway, it's like insane. Anyway. That's going to do it for me. Elsa Va, next week we'll do uh, chapter two and we'll enjoy it, okay? Um, love you guys so much. Thank you all for the support. I really appreciate it. You guys are the best. And um, we will see you on the flip side. All right, that's going to do it. As always, many blessings and much love to all.
Take what you like 